What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I've got very special guest, Dennis Porter, who is orange-pilling the masses, orange-pilling the government, which is a thankless job, to be honest with you. So, I mean, it's it's uh, awesome that he's out there doing this. We talk about his strategies, uh, some of the movements and great research that he's doing, and a lot of the progress that he's making. So be sure to tune in for another action-packed episode. And if you enjoy all of this, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get those podcasts. Also, big shout out to my sponsor, Pleb Lab, down in Austin, Texas, the number one hacker space in Austin. They're doing outstanding things right now at TabConf. So be sure to follow them along at Pleb Lab on anywhere you get uh, social media. I think they even have an Instagram now if you want to check that out. But mostly Twitter and Noster, so you can check them out on those two places. And uh, say what up to Car and the Boys. Support them from afar if you can. Donate some sats. Buy a Nomad Pass. Buy something from them. Uh, take a Noster Devs course. They've got a lot of stuff. They're housing some of the best devs in the country, in the world, in the Bitcoin space all to help build a better Bitcoin product and they need some funding. So if you guys are, are feeling uh, warm, some warmth in your heart, please, please, please donate to them. All right. And now enough from me. Let's get into the episode. All right. We're back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And today I am sitting down with Dennis Porter. So Dennis, we're seeing a lot of pro Bitcoin presidential candidates all around the world, like Javier Mille, but I wanted to start today's conversation a little bit closer to home. So let's start by exploring, like, which states in the United States do you think are, like, the most poised to start adopting Bitcoin as legal tender? I know we had, you know, Arizona a couple years ago kind of throw something out there. So are there any others that you're seeing that, uh, you know, you think might uh, be poised to, you know, kind of, kind of take that next step? Hey, yeah, uh, and thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And um, yeah, I, I, there's been a lot of activity at the state level. We've seen many states move the right direction. Some have moved the wrong direction, states like New York, uh, but others have done a lot of work to adopt and to attract this new commodity, this new money, this new industry to their shores. I mean, you, you don't need to go any further than Texas to know that they are the leader on digital assets. Texas not only is doing incredible things to adopt Bitcoin um, as a technology, but also as a money technology, but also as an energy technology. Just today, I mean, we we saw that uh, there were reports coming out from the summer heat wave that hit yesterday where a power plant tripped offline that Bitcoin miners came to the rescue. And they did that by being able to balance the grid, uh, which is what they're very, very good at. There's a couple of different ways that Bitcoin miners can do that. They can do that by, you know, having large banks of energy that they make available back to the grid during times of emergency. That's called demand response. But then there's also another type of, uh, of approach that you can take to be able to balance the grid. Uh, and it's called primary frequency response. And this is really basically like frequency is the heartbeat of the grid. It has to stay at 60 hertz at all times. If it deviates from that, even just a little bit, you can see rolling brownouts. You can see rolling blackouts. So... In order to stop that from happening, you have to have people that use power or generate power. But in the case, this case, we're talking about people that use power, be able to, to wind down very rapidly. And we're talking seconds, you know, and imagine turning, you know, getting a call from someone being like, we need you to turn down right now. Um, in, in this case, it's probably even like a signal. It's not even a call, right? Because just calling someone would take 
10, 15 seconds, them answering it, them going to push the button. So what you'll see oftentimes is grid operators will have uh, a signal that they can send and they can help to shut down those folks that are within these, uh, what we'd call controllable load resources for the grid there in ERCOT. So uh, Texas clearly leading, clearly wanting to be in the front, but you have a, a lot of other states that are hoping to move the right direction. You have folks in those states that want to see their state lead. Um, you know, I, I would be remiss to to not mention Ohio, tons of great people on the ground in Ohio trying to do great things for digital assets. And um, not just, again, on the Bitcoin front when it comes to the money component, but also uh, for Bitcoin mining uh, and trying to make sure that they can, their energy systems there can take advantage of that, of that opportunity that Bitcoin mining has to offer. Yeah, and it's great. It's great stuff, and it seems like you know even turning off the uh, the miners can be fairly fairly advantageous because I you know I, I did see that headline that Texas paid Riot about thirty one point seven million dollars to shut it shut their uh, miners down during the heat wave. So obviously you know the fluctuations, the power of the grid, and everything like that. It seems like it's it's almost a no brainer. But you know you brought up some states that are potentially you know moving in the wrong direction. So we hit the ones that are kind of leading the way, and and you mentioned New York as as kind of going the opposite are there any others that are kind of uh i guess pretty resistant when it comes to you know bitcoin legislation whether it's mining uh or the, the currency front i yeah i mean we have seen other states try to take um you know uh, try to attack essentially the digital asset space generally it's not very bitcoin focused it's more so broadly all things digital assets and then what happens is bitcoin gets caught up in that because legislators policymakers they don't really see the difference between uh bitcoin and crypto and so to them it's all really sort of the same thing which is understandable given that it takes quite a bit of time to understand the difference between these various digital assets uh, but we've seen states like new jersey um, also louisiana and even states like california attempt or uh, successfully attempt or or failed attempts at passing licensed regimes that make it much more difficult to operate digital asset brokerages within those states. So we don't like that. We want to make sure that the United States is a leader on Bitcoin and digital assets uh, now and into the future. So we really support what Texas is doing. We really support what Ohio is doing. And then there are other states as well that have a, some great work happening on the ground. Uh, our good friends over in Virginia, Greg LaFell, he's doing some great work to make sure that his state moves the right direction. There are, there are, in fact, in Oklahoma, where we will be soon, we're going there on October 4th for an energy hearing where we'll be talking about Bitcoin mining uh, for a study. We have you know, come to find out there's a whole bunch of different folks on the ground there that are trying to get things to go the right direction for digital assets. You know, you've got a bunch of different groups. So hopefully we'll be bringing everybody together uh, for this hearing, for this study to have some success. And then uh, we'll also be having dinner there later on. So, uh, you know, folks are in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, on October 4th, you know, reach out to us. We'll be uh, we'll be in town then. Yeah, awesome stuff. Yeah, if, if there's any Oklahoma Bitcoiners listening, they should definitely uh, join join you guys for all that. But I kind of want to get into like the, de the economy of the United States because I think it's kind of interesting, right? I mean, we have states kind of moving at all different levels, right? I mean, you, we're lining out states that are, you know, very pro-Bitcoin, like Texas, for example, you said is trying to lead the way. But how does that work for when it comes to like the complete United States, right? I mean, we could have like specific state policies when it comes to, you know, things like sports gambling, like marijuana, like that, those kind of things where it's different from state to state. But I mean, it seems like this is more like, obviously, it's a it's a currency, right? And, and like Bitcoin mining is something that could help pot potentially help the grid. So it's not necessarily like something that 
I guess could be deemed as like a vice, like uh, a gambling or, or, or marijuana. So, you know, when it, when it comes to that, um, you know, how uh, are policies makers at, at the top really looking at it? Or, or are you able to, to maybe get in the room or kind of hear, you know, I guess how things are going at more of like the, the country lo- level opposed to the state? Matt, so edit it out, but I got my neighbor mowing the lawn over here. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's a really great question uh, as it pertains to, um, you know, how we can make sure the United States just broadly moves the right direction on digital assets and Bitcoin. So currently we sit, we have an administration that is hostile to all things crypto and they don't like it. And so that's part of the reason why we as an organization, as Satoshi Action, have taken the distinct effort to uh, go to the state level just like the marijuana industry did and advocate for our issue because there is it is a little bit of a political divide right now between the two groups there are obviously very pro bitcoin people on the right and the left but unfortunately the current administration has this hostile view so inevitably what we want to do is we want to be working at the state level to advance pro bitcoin pro bitcoin mining policy that ensures that those states move the right direction and then inevitably what will happen is once you get a bulwark of these states together, you will start to see federal action take place. In fact, that's the exact same strategy that the cannabis industry followed, and it worked very successfully for them. Despite it being you know, federally illegal, it's a federal felony, and it is also impossible to get any banking. If you, you're not allowed to grow, distribute, uh, or possess marijuana federally. States have moved the right direction. Things have gone really well for them. And they did that by advocating for that industry through its benefits. Like they didn't go around and say, well, I should be able to do whatever I want. I should be able to smoke whatever I want. They said, if you allow the cannabis industry to take hold in your jurisdiction, you will see more taxes come in. You'll see more jobs come in and you will see more economic activity take place. You might even see crime drop as well. So those are the pitches that they took with policymakers. It worked really well. They were very successful in 2010. They started that campaign. And then by 2012, both Washington and Colorado were the first states to pass pro-marijuana legislation that opened up the floodgates for them. And then since then, we've seen about 75% of the country move the right direction. So if you want to see your country, particularly if you live in the United States, adopt this technology in a cohesive manner, and it's not happening at the federal level, we also have this sort of dual system where you can be active at the state level and you can make progress and have those policies that get done at the state level bleed up to the federal level. Now that's already taking place with marijuana. It hasn't quite taken place yet at the federal level. We see it's about to take place. We've already seen the current administration uh, signal that they wanna make more progress on this issue. But going back into history, like there are many things, including FDIC insurance that were birthed at the state level and then eventually became something that was done at the federal level because it was such a good idea. Uh, You should almost look at the states as a way to develop and facilitate good ideas and then have the best ones uh, surface to the top. It's, it's commonly called the uh, the laboratory of democracy. So we are going to be using that laboratory of democracy to our advantage and eventually making sure that the United States is the best country in the world to be a Bitcoin holder and a Bitcoin miner. Yeah, there we go. That's awesome stuff. So, um, you, you know, and it, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Where, where you know, obviously United States has been kind of, uh, you know, almost like the beacon of hope, beacon of light to a lot of, you know, immigrants coming in and uh, entrepreneurs coming in, starting com- or starting companies, you know, building them up from the ground up. And it's always been very advantageous. So it is kind of curious now that we have, you know, a current party in, in, uh, in power that it seems to 
you know, almost be doing a little bit of the opposite. But I mean, obviously, there's a, there's an, another election coming up next year in 2024. We have multiple presidential candidates speaking about Bitcoin right now and kind of their, their pitches and, uh, you know, presidential speeches, campaigns, those kind of things. So, you know, how is your view on all of that? You know, obviously, we have, you know, RFK Jr., Vivek. Um, and I, I know that there's another one that I'm forgetting, but multiple, um, you know, candidates speaking about Bitcoin, uh, even, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis saying, you know, they could still do Bitcoin and things like that. So, um, you know, what is your view on all of that? Like, do you think that there's any candidate that, like, I guess really stands out on the knowledge base of things? Um, and uh, yeah, is this conversation because it's being brought up? Is it, you know, I guess making the conversation a little bit easier for you guys now that, uh, you know, more that presidential candidates are bringing it up. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, thanks Satoshi's design of Bitcoin where the having happens, you know, part, part of the way through most of the way through every four years, which perfectly lines up with these presidential campaigns. So it's very unlikely you'll ever be seeing Bitcoin fall off a cliff uh, as we approach a presidential election, which is really important because then you can start to see that there's a lot more interest in uh, championing this issue as we run through these cycles, which more or less act as a free marketing campaign for, for Bitcoin. Uh, I have been excited but not surprised by the growing amount of presidential candidates that are supporting Bitcoin. For a long time, I have been advocating that Bitcoiners should be more politically active and that the sign that we're becoming more politically active or more politically relevant will be that political candidates will start trying to target our voter base, which is a single issue voter base on Bitcoin, because they see the potential to grow to grow their coalition and to attract new donors. Now, if you love politics, you hate politics, you couldn't care less about politics. This is a really good thing, because as more candidates are saying, hey, I like Bitcoin. I'm going to do great things about Bitcoin. That is a true signal that the space is growing and maturing and it's being adopted because, you know, think of the inverse when there was no candidates doing that. That means the space was small. There's not very many voters. There's not very much money. But the, as the space grows, gets more attention, you're naturally going to see more elected officials signal that they are supportive of this new technology. Now, we shouldn't stop there. We shouldn't just let elected officials play lip service to our community. And this is something that I've been very, very, very adamant about. And it's something that I've seen already happening um, effectively, sort of emergent and an emergent behavior with Bitcoiners is that they should not allow politicians to signal alone and get all the attention that they want. We want to see real action on Bitcoin. So my example of this is like, a, I, I, there's a, a sliding, a, there's sort of a evolutionary scale of what we should expect from our elected officials to get the support of the Bitcoin community. And that has evolved over time and it will continue to evolve. The first was all it took was putting big hashtag Bitcoin in your bio as a political candidate and you'd go viral, right? And all of a sudden everybody's talking about you. That was a big deal. That was just two years ago, maybe three years ago tops. Now, uh, the next stage of that was you had to tweet about it. So not just in your bio, but also in your tweet, you had to talk about it. Oh, that went viral. Then it moved from, okay, we don't even care about candidates anymore. These guys aren't even elected. We want to make sure that they, we're getting attention from real people in office right now. So then you started seeing uh, members of Congress. You started seeing members of state Senate, state house talk about Bitcoin. That went viral. Okay, well, we've seen that enough now to, to this day where we've seen a, current candidates, current elected officials talk about Bitcoin. We want to see something even better than that. So once 
elected officials started crafting, introducing, and attempting to pass public policy on Bitcoin, then you started to see this great stuff like, oh, man, it started to really light off. And you brought up you know, legal tender before, and that was really sort of the one that really uh, set these things off, was that these, these elected officials were introducing legal tender laws, and they were exploding in their attention. There was obviously a real desire and thirst for what legal tender had to offer, which is the ability to unlock Bitcoin as a money here in the United States, because currently in its form with all the capital gains taxes and the regulatory issues, it's difficult to use Bitcoin as money. But once we remove capital gains from Bitcoin um, to a certain extent, right, I don't know what how far we'll go with it, if it'll just be a de minimis, if it'll be wholly complete, then at that point, Bitcoin really becomes, you, you can really use Bitcoin in the economy effectively. So but then that wasn't enough, right? They're like, oh, it's just a, Bitcoiners are learning. People in the digital asset space are learning. Oh, it's just a bill. It doesn't mean it's going to pass. And that is the most important part. That's the most important intersection that we could have ever been at where Bitcoiners went from signaling to providing actual proof of work in the political space. They went from saying, oh, you can, you can get me excited. You can get me to vote, to potentially pay attention to you, to retweet your stuff maybe even donate to you if you talk about Bitcoin to, okay, now our expectation is that you have to actually do something. Uh, and so some things have happened since then. Uh, there are some elected officials who've been doing some great work, although it's been slow moving, but I'll talk about what's been happening at Satoshi Action. And despite the fact that I'm not an elected official, I'm going around and helping elected officials get good policy across the finish line. Uh, so 2000, you know, the last few years I've realized we need to be more politically active, but I've been waiting for someone to launch an organization that would really get things done. Wasn't happening, wasn't happening. And eventually I realized I had to do it myself. I launched Toshi Action Fund alongside my two co-founders. And from there we got to work. We started advocating for Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining at the state level very effectively. We brought up Eric Peterson as our policy director and he's helping us to be able to go to the states and be able to pass good policy. And in the first year alone, we introduced four pieces of model legislation that we created ourselves, and we introduced it in nine times in seven different states, and we passed it into law in Montana and Arkansas. So that was a huge success for us. And that was to prove also that real pro-Bitcoin legislation could get across the finish line, could pass. And now this is just the beginning for us, and we are gonna can't wait to get into the next legislative cycle where we plan to, to maybe double or even triple the amount of states that we've passed pro-Bitcoin legislation in. Yeah. And, and, you know, it seems like there's definitely a lot, right? I mean, obviously some of the bigger names were like Cynthia Lummis, cause she was like one of the, one of the first ones to get in, but you know, it, it seems kind of like, almost like, like you said, that network effect, whether it was putting like hashtag Bitcoin. And now it seems like, uh, you know, people are kind of, uh, politicians are, are more trying to, to pay attention, but there's also a lot of, you know, great things going on globally, not just here in the United States, right? Obviously we've had El Salvador and Nayib Bukele, like make a lot of waves, ruffle some feathers, it seems as well. Um, but then, you know, we also have, um, you know, Ar Argentina uh, with Javier Mille, who's, you know, going on Tucker Carlson here pretty soon as well. So, you know, he's he's making some waves. Are, you know, politicians in the United States, even at like something like the Senate level or state level, are they even paying attention, you know, kind of what's going on globally, kind of keeping a close eye on that? Um, or are they more, I guess, focused on, um, you know, what's going on on a state to state kind of basis? Yeah, I mean, I think I think people are absolutely paying attention to what's going on uh, across the globe, and you're you're going to see more and more people start to pay a lot more attention to Bitcoin. You know, if we mean uh, when I when I was chatting with Peter McCormick last, we had this thing where we came up where we said is 
uh, Bitcoin is the cheat code to success. And, um, you know, lo and behold, a couple episodes later, he, he named one of those episodes uh, the Bitcoin cheat code. And the, the basic premise of the Bitcoin cheat code is that you can get a lot of attention. And if you are trying to make sure that good things happen for Bitcoin, then Bitcoin will make sure that good things happen for you. Like to, just to take Peter McCormick's uh, football team. I tell him it's a soccer team all the time just to mess with him. But his football team, I'll say it for since we're talking about it today. Um, he real Bedford. They are one of the you know, one of the biggest hurdles that you face as a new football team is you have a hard time financing your new team, getting new players. They are expensive onto the team. Um, but because he sort of is melding the Bitcoin world with the football world and using it as a way to advocate for Bitcoin and advance Bitcoin and educate people about Bitcoin. He has this automatic global supporter base. He has this automatic global fan base that's buying jerseys, that's showing up to games, that's participating. And that is allowing him to have more finance, generate more revenue to be able to afford better players. And then they went on to, did they, were they undefeated or something? It was like crazy. They did really, really well this last cycle. They, they didn't get as far as they wanted to in the, uh, in the cup, but either way, huge success. And now because of that success, that's gonna carry over into the future where they can potentially get even better players. They can afford uh, a better stadium. They can afford new upgrades to their uh, sports training. So all of it's carrying over, but really the jettison of that is you know, sort of Bitcoin being able to elevate that work. Well, and now you see the same thing with um, the, the gentleman down in Argentina who's running. Like he, there's a lot of excitement around him because he is talking about a core issue, but he's also bringing it back to Bitcoin. And now he has a global audience. Nayib Bukele in El Salvador are doing the exact same thing. He is focusing on all these core issues that are a problem in El Salvador, a country which my parents have lived in for over a decade, and he is solving them, but he wouldn't be getting the attention that he probably would want to get if he wasn't talking about Bitcoin and using Bitcoin as a tool and elevating Bitcoin. Now he has a national audience. Now he's globally known, whereas he would, no one would even know who he was if it wasn't for Bitcoin, if Bitcoin didn't exist. And you, so you see this taking place all over the place. And I think you're going to start to notice that people are going to pick up on this. They're going to pick up on that. If you can help, if you advance Bitcoin, in some way, Bitcoin will turn around and provide value back to your life. I don't know why. Me and, me and Peter McCormick called it the Bitcoin cheat code. We haven't figured out why that happens. But every time you do that, really good things seem to happen. So I would encourage anybody that's interested. You know, we're here. We talk. Oftentimes, people look at Bitcoin as this asset. You can invest in it. It's speculative. goes up, goes down. You try to cash out, make some, make some dough. I would encourage people to look deeper in Bitcoin and to find something about this technology that they can really wrap part of their life around. Because if you advance Bitcoin in some way, there will be an ROI on that effort. So don't think of Bitcoin as just some asset that you can buy and you can hold and will go up 10x or 20x hopefully one day. Think of it as something that you can buy and hold that is going to go up in value, but that you can also spend your life advocating for or doing something for where it'll return value to you in a different way while also simultaneously going up in value because you've just made it even, you know, you're sort of adding value to the technology itself. So um, I'll pause there. It's my long rant on why you're going to see a lot more politicians, a lot more folks in, in leadership positions advocate for Bitcoin and start to champion Bitcoin. 
Yeah. And I mean, but beside from the popularity, though, do you think that, you know, there, there's countries around there? I mean, obviously, you know, I brought up Argentina, right? I mean, it's been very well known about, you know, their their, their uh, currency just being extremely volatile and, and all those kind of things, almost being at that Zimbabwe type of level where, you know, there's just massive amounts of swings. And, you know, I guess looking at more of like the hard money principles are, you know, I, I guess, where's the balance at here, you know, where like politicians are maybe getting into it for, you know, I guess the popularity, the notoriety, the other kind of things. And then, you know, like how, how can you like really defer between, you know, going for the notoriety, trying to earn the votes and stay in power and yeah. you're really using Bitcoin as a tool to, you know, benefit the people. It's a, it's a perfect question. I get this question all the time. Uh, first of all, there's two parts to this question. One is that, um, which is something that people don't like. I tell them, I say, listen, you'll inevitably be able to find out what whether someone has a good motivation by the proof of work. If they get in and they're using Bitcoin to champion, they're championing it and they're sort of like, lo and behold, they were just using it to get media attention. Well, they're, they're, they're not going to really get any of the true benefit of, of advocating for Bitcoin. Maybe they got a few tweets here or there. They got a little bit of media attention, but they're not truly going to benefit in the way that someone would that's, that's really championing for it. But even if that's true, even if someone's pure motivation is for them to get temporary uh, media attention because they've supported Bitcoin, that still is good because it has brought attention to the technology. That is still good because it has shown people that people are willing to go out there and advocate for Bitcoin um, in positions of leadership and positions of authority. So I tell people, I encourage people not to judge the motivation of why someone is doing something. Uh, everything, you know, this sort of goes back to that line. It's like, everything's good for Bitcoin. I'm, I'm not sure if that's gonna, that's, you know, uh, true. I'm not a, I'm, I don't strong hold a strong opinion on that thesis, but generally I have found that to be true. Um, and then, but, but then going back to my other point is if they do that, if they kind of jump in, they're like, Oh, I'm just going to use this thing to, to play lip service and get some extra, uh, you know, temporary attention. Like people are, you're going to find out, like you're going to know inevitably that they're not producing any results and then they're going to be burned. Like, you, you know, a lot of times you'll see in a space where someone will go out, they'll sort of, champion something and pretend like they are pro Bitcoin. They say all the right words. And then six months, a year, two years later, everyone finds out that, you know, they're sort of grifting, so to speak. That's the common term that people like to use. Well, then they've been labeled a grifter and that the Bitcoin community and people that care about Bitcoin are probably never going to take them seriously again, which I think is worse than like the benefit that they, the temporary benefit that they may have sort of experienced from advocating for it. So that's sort of my, my quick analysis on it. I think either way it's good for Bitcoin. And they've probably done more damage to themselves than, than they've gained benefit by not being true champions of the technology. Yeah, that, that's definitely a fair point, right? I mean, yeah, it, maybe that initial bump up will will be fine, but eventually, you know, it'll all play out, right? But, um, you know, I kind of want to get back to to the policy front of things, right? I mean, because you guys have been doing great work at Satoshi's Action, but, you know, I see this as kind of like, like you lined out at, at the beginning, like two different fronts, right? The energy side of things and like maybe the legal tender side of things. So, you know, just on a broad spectrum, which one do you think we're like kind of farther along with in the United States? states and uh where do you see like more traction starting right now uh that's another really great question and it's absolutely the energy side it's the reason why we're so focused on bitcoin mining we believe that bitcoin mining has the opportunity to provide real world benefits today to those in the west you know you might see some adoption of the uh the monetary perspective like the bitcoin as a money bitcoin as a payment rail you may see that take place in countries where they have a severe lack of financial services I think that, you know, the global south in particular will will be the ones that will 
adopt and utilize Bitcoin more frequently. Um, now you will still see big, you know, American Bitcoiners and Western Bitcoiners holding their Bitcoin, buying their Bitcoin. But I don't think that that in the near term that you're going to see the adoption pick up uh, for the for Bitcoin as a money, Bitcoin as a payment rail, as you will in the global south. So uh, from that perspective, there's a, I have said, okay, well, if we know that Bitcoin mining has real world things that it can offer today to Americans and Western Bitcoiners. Let's focus on that. And, and those benefits that Bitcoin mining has to offer is the ability to create jobs, local investment, grid stability, the ability to clean up the environment through methane mitigation, and the ability to also enhance green and carbon-free energy projects, really any or any energy project, but it is particularly valuable to uh, carbon-free energy projects. So when we go to policymakers and we say that message, we say, hey, these are the five key benefits. They hear them. They, they of course, love those benefits. And immediately they ask, okay, so what can we do next to adopt this technology? And that's that's been our sort of uh, bread and butter. That's our secret sauce. Not so secret because I say it all the time. But uh, that was very effective. And I think that's where you're going to see a lot of the adoption take place. And that's really good because as Bitcoin mining gets adopted and more and more and more adopted by folks in the energy world, you're going to see that sort of bleed over effect where other good things are happening. One of the things that we discovered when we were working at the state level to advance Bitcoin mining is that utilities and energy companies have quite a bit of influence over the political systems at the state level. In some states, energy companies are the most powerful um, in, the, in the political realm. They have the most influence compared to anyone else. Uh, let's take utilities as an example. Utilities are regulated monopolies. They have a specific area that they can sell power in and no one else can sell power in it. And it's, it's literally, it's a legalized monopoly. Um, they, they did that for a whole bunch of reasons. No criticism of that system necessarily in this conversation, but that does exist all over the country. Well, if you have a system that is essentially a legalized monopoly where the only real way that people can change that or impact that is through legislation and through policy, well, you're going to be really interested in being engaged at the political system. And they are. So as an example, one time we showed up in a state, we were brand new. We were trying to get our feet underneath of us and we didn't know what we were doing. And some a piece of policy that we found was um, being criticized by some in the utility world. We decided to hold it back. We're like, let's not do it. Let's wait. It's too complex. Let's do some of the stuff that we know we can get done, that we, where we know we can be effective. And we don't want to make enemies with these utility companies. Well, there was an accident that occurred and the policy got introduced anyways. And so from there, what happened was we were we had to sit down with I think it was like seven different lobbyists from all these different power companies because they were like, what the hell are you doing in our state? Um, but that's just like sort of like a microcosm example of, of how active these guys are in the state legislators. And they have to be, right? Because their business model is at risk. Uh, so if you can get more Bitcoin mining, you can get more energy companies on board with Bitcoin mining, more utilities. All of a sudden, you turn that sort of very strong political influence that they have towards protecting Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. And that right there gives Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining a massive advantage in the United States. From there, you will not just see pro-Bitcoin mining energy policy taking place, you will be seeing pro-Bitcoin monetary policy taking place. So that's our sort of thesis on how we approach legislation and policy and research and why we are so aggressively pro-Bitcoin mining as sort of that first step in the door to try to get states on board. 
Yeah, and I mean, it makes a ton of sense. And especially, you know, with what we've seen with, you know, the, the Russia-Ukraine war, kind of like, you know, the potential of the energy crisis going on in Europe, like those kind of things, you know, it, it seems like energy's kind of been more of a stress when it comes to not only like the United States, but more globally, just because of, you know, the situation right. going on over there. So, I mean, it, it makes complete sense. But, you know, you brought up energy companies, and I kind of want to dive into that a little bit because, you know, obviously you guys focus a little bit more on the political side, but you, you mentioned how energy companies have, you know, some of that political pull. Are, are any energy companies at, at all ever resistant to, to what you guys are bringing to the table, you know, kind of pulling in that Bitcoin mining aspect? Or, are you know, once you kind of explain it to them, are they generally kind of on board right away? It's a mixed bag. So it really depends on where they are regionally and... Um, you know, oftentimes these energy companies are very large and there are different opinions within the companies on what they want to do. The, the difficult part oftentimes for energy companies is that really bad things can happen if they make mistakes. You know, power plants trip offline, um, you know, all of a sudden you have whole neighborhoods without energy. Well, if that happens at the wrong time, let's say during a winter storm or a summer heat wave, you know, you could have people dying. Uh, you could, if it gets really, really bad, you could have a, a system-wide outage, which is a black start, which is could take days, if not potentially weeks, to recover from. Uh, in that situation, you know, you are really having a breakdown of society where people are, you know, just trying to stay alive. Uh, I mean, take away power, and you take away not only air conditioning and heat, you take away the ability to store your food, the ability to, to you know, heat up your food in the microwave, the ability to have your TV on, to have your phone on. I mean, really, this day and age where everything has been electrified, everything has been digitized, if we were to have power go away in large parts of where we live, I mean, it's truly devastating. So so energy companies we have found are tend to be extremely conservative with their approach to new technologies, which right, rightfully so, because as I mentioned, small mistakes can lead to very big mistakes, which can lead to literally people dying. So um, we have found that they are interested. It's not that they are... Generally, they're not hostile. They're just skeptical because as an energy company, they get approached all the time about all these great new energy products, technologies that are going to save the world. And a lot of them don't pencil out and they don't work. So I, I appreciate and understand the skepticism. Uh, but as time goes on, you're going to see more and more momentum build that in the energy world. You already have seen many energy companies that are either openly or quietly working on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. And that goes everything from... Uh, some of the largest utilities in the United States to some of the largest energy companies in the United States. I mean, we saw ExxonMobil, that's public news, where they were using Bitcoin mining for flare gas mitigation. And we know that Shell, Shell is in the immersion liquid space. Um, there are rumors that they are also like pretty involved in you know, the ownership of these certain Bitcoin mining companies through through shell companies. Funny, I uh, didn't mean to, you know, Shell owns a shell company that owns a Bitcoin miner. It's sort of my joke. Um, I haven't confirmed that, but there's a lot pretty strong rumors out there about that. Um, so, but you're going to see more of this take place. You're going to see more energy companies adopt it. You're going to see more utilities adopt it. And as that happens, you're going to see a lot more positive things happen. I don't think that they, once they understand Bitcoin mining, pretty much every energy company is starts to put it be on a path where they're trying to figure out how they can utilize it and, and then just how much they will utilize it. Yeah, for sure. And I think like Shell was the biggest sponsor of the Bitcoin uh, conference right. 
Miami as well. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, they do have some shell companies that are, uh, you know, uh, owning some of these Bitcoin miners. But um, I want to dive into a little bit more about what you guys are doing at, at Satoshi Action. So uh, give us like kind of like a broad overview. And then uh, I don't know if you can highlight some of the, the recent like policy wins that you guys have had or maybe some of the success stories. I, I'd love to hear a lot more about that. Yeah, thank you. We've had we have had a lot of success over the last year. When we launched, we set a strong goal to pass policy in multiple states, and we were able to meet that goal. So we passed our right to mine bill in Montana and Arkansas. We came razor close to passing it in Missouri. We're going to go back there this next legislative cycle and try to get that win. And what that policy ultimately does is it protects Bitcoin miners from a very variety of forms of discrimination, everything from rate discrimination to discriminatory zoning changes. Really, really boring stuff, to be honest. But ultimately, these are things that have happened. They're forms of discrimination that have been attempted against Bitcoin miners and even successfully so. And we just went in and we said, okay, listen, we are a legal business. We're not doing anything wrong. We're not asking for any special favors. We just want to make sure that we can operate and that nothing bad is going to happen um, at the city, county, state level, that's going to stop us from operating a business that we, you know, some of these guys have invested tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into these sites. Um, and in some cases, those sites that are millions of dollars invested into them have been gone bankrupt because of discriminatory practices. So we want to make sure that doesn't happen. We also want to make sure these states have the ability to plant their flag in the ground to say, we are pro Bitcoin mining. We want you to come here. Um, also, one thing to keep in mind is when we passed that law in Montana, we also were able to pass a ban on any sort of additional taxes on Bitcoin when used as a form of payment. Payment. So that was really exciting for us and it made us realize, well, what else can we do? What else can we pass within Right to Mind? So we are expanding Right to Mind. We are going to be doing Right to Mind 2.0 and we are going to be adding in things that are just very, very good for Bitcoin. Uh, we are looking into private key protection. We're looking into the right to self-custody, the right to hold Bitcoin and other, dig other digital assets. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that's on the plate that we might get done. We've made the policy very tech neutral, tech agnostic. So it's very inclusive and we are going to be building a pretty strong coalition this next cycle and potentially passing that law in, like I said, hopefully six states. We would love to get six states. We did two this last time. Um, so we'd love to triple that number. Uh, we're going to be pa hopefully passing into bigger states, too, because, you know, people will be like, well, it's just Montana, it's just Arkansas. But because of those wins in the smaller states, we're able to carry those over into the bigger states. But um, one thing that also along the way that we realized was there's not enough research around Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining. So as we were talking to policymakers, oftentimes they're asking for you know proof or evidence or something to back, that, uh, back up our claims. And we did have some, but a lot of it's just very anecdotal. A lot of it is like, you know, this story here in Texas, that story there in Texas, which are powerful messages and powerful stories, which you can back up with data. But what we really needed was more peer-reviewed research. And that's why we launched Satoshi Action Education, which is our research arm. We launched it about four or five months ago, and we brought on Dr. Murray Rudd, who has 20 years of academic experience and the understanding of how to get things through the peer review process, which is critical because it's, it's just like policy, right? It's all sort of this weird confusing, like, how does it actually work world, uh, that if you don't know what you're doing, you really won't be able to get anything done. I would say that the peer review process, the academic space is almost identical in nature. There's all sorts of stuff. When I sit down with Dr. Rudd, I'm like asking him about things. He's telling me about his strategies. I'm like, I just would never have thought about these things. I would never have thought about 
um, this approach to how to get things through the process. So we're very fortunate to have him. Ever since he's come on, we've launched a number of different research initiatives. And last, let's see, it was about two, three weeks ago, we were able to help get, we didn't do the research, but we helped get some of this research through the peer review process, which really highlighted the potential benefits of Bitcoin mining for uh, the grid and for the environment. So that was really powerful. And that, that journal entry, that sort of paper that made it into the journal, is already in the top 5% of papers globally that are tracked by the sort of tracking systems that they use within the academic space. So got a lot of attention. Um, but now we have another paper coming out. And this paper has got five co-authors. And it is going to, I think, turn quite a few heads because some of the co-authors on this paper are from the energy world. They are not Bitcoiners first. They are not even like Bitcoiners second. They are primarily and solely the, one of their number one careers was in the energy world. In fact, we have two people like that, but one in particular, I think is going to really um, turn quite a few heads. And we just finalized that paper. So we are going to be submitting it to the journal and very shortly and hopefully be getting a, uh, you know, a, a good turnaround time. You know, we can't guarantee anything in research or policy. Can't guarantee you're going to pass a law. Can't guarantee you're going to get things through the peer review process. Uh, but we think we have a great strategy and we're looking forward to hopefully getting this paper out there for people to see. Even if we can't get it through the peer review process, which is which uh, would be very unfortunate, we will release it, still release it to the public um, so folks can see what we're working on. But that will be coming out um, you know, anytime soon. Yeah, that, that's great stuff. But I want to kind of dive into a little bit more about like the, the importance of academia and kind of like where you see this like fitting in. Right. Because it seems like. There's been obviously a gap, like everybody in, in the Bitcoin space, you know, kind of claims that they had to self-educate when it came to, you know, money, like Bitcoin mining, like all this stuff. It's all brand new. Right. So, I mean, there are some schools that seem to be like, I guess, a little bit, you know, moving forward in that. But, you you know, you're outlining the importance of, you know, some of this research data when it comes to and, uh, you know, published peer reviewed papers when it comes to, um, you know, passing policies. But uh, do you think that this will kind of start to move a little bit towards, uh, I guess, almost like the institutional level, like we'll start to get like more professors in there that are kind of, you know, maybe pushing some of their graduate students, uh, maybe more, some more peer reviewed papers uh, kind of flock in after seeing some of these successes that you guys are having, obviously, you know, yes. top 5% paper, uh, that'll definitely turn some heads, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. You know, when you can improve the incentives around a field of research, then you can attract more researchers to the space. And that has been one of the most important goals for Satoshi Action Education is to attract as many researchers as possible to study Bitcoin and study Bitcoin mining. Because we don't need one paper. We don't need two papers. We don't even need 10 papers. We need hundreds of papers that prove that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining have value and that guide a path forward for other researchers and other policymakers in the space to be able to make good policy decisions around this technology. And unfortunately, there's just many policymakers who simply won't, you know, sort of believe these sort of news stories, anecdotal stories until they get something through the peer review process. So it's critical for us. And um, to your point of like the impact of these papers coming out on researchers themselves. Yeah. Yes. We've already seen uh, the momentum picking up for us. We've already seen other researchers reaching out to us and the opportunities that are, are growing for us to be able to talk to more researchers at higher and higher levels every day. Um, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in early talks with some very large organizations, some very large NGOs, and we are very excited about opportunities that arise. We're, we are also seeing the same interests from the energy world. They want to see research done on this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 there's nothing solid or concrete that I can tell you right now, but 
yes, putting getting the paper through the process, helping to get um, uh, Alex and Juan, their paper on Bitcoin mining was the one I mentioned earlier. Uh, they're from the University of College London, getting helping them to get through the process. You know, that paper being a success was big. This next paper coming out, I believe, will sort of eclipse um, and show that there is even more interest in the space from people within the energy world and drive even more research. And at the end of the day, we would just want to, that's all we want to do. You know, we want to, we want to put out research, but ultimately we want to drive the incentives. And the way that you do that is you provide a path for career advancement for folks in the research world. You know, oftentimes people say money is the most important thing in academia. It matters in the, in as much as it enables you to do more research, but the real thing that drives the academic wheels the, 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 is career advancement. So if someone can come in and they can write a paper, gets a lot of attention, has high impact, influences public policy, that's very, very, very big for their ability to unlock future levels. You know, sort of like the ultimate goal is getting to be like an endowed chair of, you know, sort of a branch of at, at a university. Like that's the ultimate goal. To get there from being a PhD student, you have to write a lot of papers. Now, like it's incredible how many papers you have to write and they have to be successful. They have to get a lot of citations, get a lot of media attention. That's what gets you to where you want to be at ultimately. So by what we're doing is we are trying to provide that. We're trying to provide that, you know, get them the media attention that they need when these papers come out, help facilitate the ability for these papers to get cited. And then that's going to carry over into itself and just drive more and more focus on the space. Yeah, and I think you know the more attention, the better, uh, and it definitely seems like that's kind of the, kind of the trend. But um, you know, you highlighted a couple. Obviously, you know, we have the Satoshi's white paper, and like you know, you've highlighted a couple like papers that are being developed on on the mining space of things. But has it has there been any, I guess, movement or traction when it comes to maybe like papers like getting peer reviewed when it comes to something like the Lightning Network or other things when it comes to like the payment rails of things. Or, you know, as you're as you kind of like highlighted previously, is the focus majority on the, the energy side of things right now? I, a lot of it has been on the energy side, I think, because it's very measurable and, and um, you know, not necessarily easy to understand. But it's it's something that a lot of people have quite a bit of depth of expertise in. And those worlds are blending. So the mining world and the energy world are blending and people are really easy. It's really easy for people to see those benefits come alive. Whereas with Bitcoin as an asset, um, particularly the payment rails, we do see it, but not quite at the scale where it would be easy to do um, a, a number of peer-reviewed papers. Now, now there's already plenty of sort of use cases and examples that have been deployed and someone could easily do that. But I think the predominant amount of interest is around the energy sector. Um, there are a lot of folks that do care a lot about research as it pertains to the, to the asset and to the payment rail side. And I think that will develop, particularly as you get folks in the global south really interested in doing research around this and around those components. That's when it's really going to take off. And we do have some interest in helping to facilitate that. We're in early conversations, again, like I said, with some folks that 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 that's what they care about. They care more so about the ability for uh, Bitcoin to be used as a form of payment and a form of money. So hopefully there will be some developments there, just not on our end, not yet. There's a, and there's other groups, too, that are doing research. So. They might, you know, they might be further along in the process, but generally you don't really, it's really hard to know where they are um, unless we've been in direct contact with them. Yeah, for sure. And that makes a lot of sense. But before I let you go, I want to, I want to have you call your shot here um, because we've been, we've been focusing a little bit about the United States, 
but we've had El Salvador, right? I mean, we've named, uh, you know, Argentina's getting a potentially, you know, a, a pro-Bitcoin president in there. Um, so uh, we've had the Central African Republic kind of, uh, I guess, float around the idea of legal tender uh, for Bitcoin. So I, I, want, I want you to call your shot here. How many countries do you think in the year 2024 will we see either, I guess, elect a, a pro-Bitcoin official or uh, make some sort of law wow. uh, become a uh, become uh, have Bitcoin become like legal tender or something around those lines? I mean, that's... Uh... <laughs> Very um, theoretical yeah. guess, you know, sort of like put your finger up in the wind and uh, see what you think. Um, you know, it's really hard to say. I would hope to see, uh, you know, even just one more country, if not two, m you know, really move strongly the right direction on on Bitcoin. But uh, it's sort of one of those uh, slowly and suddenly situations. So we don't know when that point is going to take place where it'll go from, you know, one country here, one country there to, you know, dozens of countries all of a sudden going the right direction. Uh, but I, I do believe that ultimately that's where we're going. Um, you know, the benefits that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining have to offer are sort of irrefutable and the evidence and the support for those benefits and the nations and states and cities taking advantage of those benefits will only grow. And as they do, you'll see the technology really start to permeate across the across the world. So um, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin. I tend to try to uh, default to being more patient with Bitcoin, the longer you're in Bitcoin, the more patient you are with Bitcoin. So um, I sort of don't have any sort of great estimates. If we see a big, another big run up in price, of course, you'll see a lot of interest in it and and potentially see some folks come on board. But um, you, you really, Bitcoin is very unpredictable. So I, I try not to predict where it's going to go in the near term. All right. Well, I had to try to put you on the spot there. So I, I appreciate you, uh, you you playing with that a little bit. But Dennis, you've been very generous with your time. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, why don't you let people know where they can find out more about, you know, what you guys are doing about uh, Satoshi Action and maybe where they can help support and other things like that. Yeah, definitely. And thank you again for having me on. Uh, really appreciated the opportunity to come on and to chat about some of the work that we're doing and the, and the direction that we're headed in in the future. If you want to look up our organization, you can go to satoshiaction.io. And we have a newsletter right out there on the front page that you can sign up for. Really good newsletter. We cover a little bit of news in the space. Uh, we talk about sort of what was the biggest item of the last week. And then we also dive into our viewpoint on that. And then we talk about current events. Uh, we talk about any sort of events coming up for ourselves, uh, the policy that we've been doing, any news in the organization. And then we always leave you with, you know, a few news articles that we think you should highlight. So it's a good, it's a great newsletter. It's not too long, really keep it short and condensed, but a lot high impact. So if you want to sign up for that, satoshiaction.io, uh, which also has a, as a website, houses all the work that we've done over the past. So need to update it probably. We, the last couple months, we've gotten some more work done, but yeah, you can go there, see the people that we're talking to, the, the states that we've operated in, uh, some of the other work that we've done. We have some great resources. So we have a one pager on the benefits of Bitcoin mining that you can hand to your friends, your family, or what well, we hope, your policymakers and your regulators. And then we also have a whole like 10, 15 page guide on, on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining for legislators too. So if you are a policymaker or if you know someone who's in government, you know, that's a really great resource. You can, you can click on it, you can download it, you can print it out. Um, I would encourage people to, to go do that. Really valuable resource. Yeah, for sure. And I'll put all that in the show notes as well. So Dennis, thanks so much, man. I'll be checking it out and following along.